the entire concept of feminism at its root, what it kind of started with is like, I'm more than my pussy. And I'm just like, exactly, girl. Hey, welcome to Town Hall, a Black queer podcast. The podcast where we journey through a theme by sharing stories, music, poetry, and art of varying depth and hilarity. Today's episode is feminism. Pip, are you a feminist? Yes, I do remember. It's so it's, okay. The the words when I was young, growing up, that I remember the like politically charged words when I was growing up that I heard being used and I didn't, I couldn't necessarily define, but I knew that they were meant as bad were communist, feminist, uh, socialist. I mean, there's obviously other words that were bad words, but these words, I, you know, I now know I have a different meaning, but I just thought like, I would hear people saying, oh, feminist, uh," as, and I, I guess the context of like the meaning that was conveyed, the subtext was like bitchy woman. Like that's, I think that's uh, like a bitchy, unreasonable woman who's asking for too much. That was what I thought like the definition of a feminist was. When I was growing that was, up. Oh, that was your perception in the, in, the, in the 80s and 90s? Definitely in the 80s, probably coming into the 90s. So when in, in 2004, when I got to college, or maybe 2008 when I got to New York City, I can't remember, it was in the, in the early 2000s, before 2010. Oh my God, we're in the 20s. We're living in the 20s. This is so crazy. You ever thought that we're like in the 20s? We're like in the 20s. Because everyone's like reading about the 20s, but now we're like living in the 20s. That's kind of why. And, and baby, they're roaring. <laughs> I see why they call them roaring 20s. Because baby, they're roaring. Roaring at us nonstop. Um, but anyway, what I was getting at is that I saw these signs, those, these shirts that would say, this is what a feminist looks like. And I remember thinking I, I grew up obviously in the eighties and nineties as well. And I became an adult in the two, in the, in the two thousands. And I remember um, thinking to myself like, Oh yeah. Feminist is like a lady who doesn't wear deodorant and like um, boobs hang to her belly button. And she probably her, like she doesn't like um, she doesn't do her hair. She doesn't wear makeup and she hates men. But then I saw this like big buff straight guy wearing a shirt that said, this is what a feminist looks like. And I was like, even though I, even though I had a, I knew that feminism is really just about um, believing that men and women are equal and should have equal footing in the world. Somehow I had uh, let the insidious idea that feminism was these, just these stinky, sweaty, mean women enter my um, brain as well, because that's what we saw in the on, on, in media, you know? So did you have a negative connotation associated with feminism, like the word feminism, when you were younger? Maybe not negative, but very specific. I guess negative, I mean, negative is obviously a subjective word, right. but um, it it was like, um, it was it was kind of like the, 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 uh, the woman version of, uh, of, uh, of, um, I got bean pies, my brother. You know what I mean? Like like those, like like the super extra woke uh brother man. Like Muslims. You see, you've seen the you see, not just Muslims, but like there is this there's this depiction in black media of specifically of 
either Nation of Islam or Black Israelites in media that is um, super. It's uh, it's, always wearing it's, a suit and a bow tie. Comically parroted. Yeah, and always like my brother. That's the problem today with the these man. white people in your life, my brother. See what you don't realize, my brother and my sister is. So in my mind, that parody thing that I had seen on movies like uh, uh, what was that movie that they really parody that he where he go can't get out of the way. The what was that movie? I think it was like a Wayans Holly, movie. Hollywood Shuffle where, or where like, um, or I'm gonna get you sucker. One of the Wayans, yeah. I'm gonna get you sucker. It's I'm gonna yeah. get you sucker. Where this like this character who's like parody of a Nation of Islam type person is like trying to talk to this. He's like he's making this black woman move out of his way so he can talk to this white woman. Oh yeah, That's yeah, the yeah, whole bit. yeah. And move out of my way, bitch. Move. I want to try and talk to this this blonde haired guy. I can't remember the exact lines. I haven't seen the movie in literally. I think he years. was trying to kick it, but a, he, my he idea spitting game, and he told the black woman to move out of the way so he could like he went on this whole preaching thing about like loving black women and all this other shit. Yes, and then he like t- moved the black woman out of the way so he could like kick it to the white girl. I think that's yeah, and my my idea of feminism was kind of yes. That's a, if I recall correctly, the second one was, and in my mind, feminism was the lady version oh, that, of that, that okay. thing for, but, but about about gender, not about race. Right, right. Whew. Wow, Ooh, that, that was, was a, a long. <laughs> that was a long. <laughs> we might have to edit it anyway. Made it. <laughs> Baby, the honey, the, the, the we train were was the running low. Squinies to white girls. <laughs> Oh, real quick, by the way, real quick, everyone, a total side note, a bit of shameless self-promotion. My stand-up comedy special, Woke Man in a Dress, is available for free on my YouTube page. I released it on my Patreon exclusively a couple of months ago, and now it is um, for free on my YouTube page. You can go to WokeManInAddress.com, or you can just go to YouTube and type in Woke Man in a Dress, and um, you will be taken directly to my... um, my special, which I'm very proud of. I'm very, you very should proud be. Of. It's it's so funny, y'all. Get just pl- do it, and then s- play it again, and, and leave free. it on loop. I don't know. I don't think you can loop videos on on YouTube. I don't think I'll so. find a way. Um, well, just come back every every hour and sixteen minutes. Yeah, and redo just keep redoing. But anyway, so that's my idea of feminism. Feminism definitely has a, has a. I think that the world has a a, a definite um, broader understanding. Have you ever heard of a fart? Uh, a Fem- feminist, yeah. I just that's new. Appropriating ra- feminism, feminist appropriating radical, radical transphobia. Transphobia is the, it's the new term instead of instead of tarf, a far, tr- turf, instead a fart. Of, instead of turf. People are calling them farts now. It's a feminist appropriating radical transphobia um, because turf could be turf. Turf could still be nice, but a fart. Wait, what are they? Are femi- They're they're a feminist that are appropriating. Radical transphobia. They're not radical transphobia. They're not appropriating radical transphobia. They're exhibiting well, radical. Okay, transphobia. maybe I got the term wrong. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's. Well, a fart doesn't uh, sound good. Of uh, a, a feminist appropriating a feminist who is a pro, a feminist. Okay, it's a person who's appropriating feminism. They're appropriating feminism. So a feminism appropriate a feminism appropriating radical transphobe because it's a, a transphobe transphobe who's appropriating who's radically appropriating oh. feminism. So feminism appro- yeah feminism appropriating radical transphobe. Radical transphobe. Mm-hmm. There it is. Got yeah, it. I had to. I had to. There it is. Woo! I thought through that one. 
<laughs> we got, I got, I got like a nosebleed. Like, oh my god! <laughs> Not me using. I do you candy like rubber. that? I mean, I, mean, I do like that. Yeah. But, uh, I but th- that's a, the thing is, um, I don't necessarily. Well, it's because they started claiming turf. They started. They, they started being proud of turf. They're like, I am a turf. Yeah, I'm a turf. What of it? Well, they're, they're not going to start saying, yeah, I'm a fart. Yeah, and they're not radically feminist. It's actually quite, it's so ironic that, that um, they, they call many of their, they uh, obviously are accepting the, the definition of a type of feminist. And some of them are calling themselves a certain type of feminist or so, saying that they're feminists. And we are, we were acknowledging we were giving them ground and acknowledging, yes, you are a feminist, but you're the type of feminist that doesn't like trans women. So that's not a that's not an insult to them because they literally don't. However, um, I it's it's interesting that a lot of these I saw one of these um, people that were have been called publicly turfs, and I think she probably now accepted. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, online so famously, and she was. There was a whole set of information and sort of doctrines and like, um, you know, basically jargon, not jargon, but like, you know, things that they were saying, quotes that they were um, saying about trans people. And I think it was Christopher Rufo, who is the uh, architect behind the attack on critical race theory, who was who also the same architect behind like political architect in terms of like literally writing a handbook and sending it out basically taking the the um uh notes on fascism that uh you know circulated in South America that were brought to the US and then um appropriated by Hitler and the Nazis in the in the 30s and 40s uh taking all of that and restructuring it to attack dehumanize and attack black people and trans people uh, by way of saying critical race theory we're going to we're going to demonize critical race theory we're going to call it something that it's not and then ascribe it to everything else uh that's black and then people will want to mm-hmm. they'll be eliminating themselves and they'll be eliminating this they'll let them work and so he did that and he's doing the same thing to trans to trans issues uh by calling you know sort of phys- re-physicalizing the trans experience and saying that it's all about body and like, you know, like literally just like um, genetics and it's not. Um, anyway, Christopher Rufo, I don't want to say his name too many more times, but he's also now serving on the board uh, of education in Florida. Well, so he's, he's like a, he's like Candyman. He said too many times he'll pop up behind you. He's, he's now serving on the board of education in Florida, helping uh, uh, a board of, not board of education, on the board of a certain college, a liberal arts college in Florida, can't remember what the name of it is, um, that was a liberal arts college that was like really open and like progressive and um, accepting of people of different identities. And he went through and he's going through and syst- like systematically eliminating all of the courses on feminism and um, African-American studies and all those I things. I saw this. And so that's and Christopher he's Rufo. Young. He's young. Oh my God, he's so, so young. Him. I'm looking up now. Yeah. He's very young. He... Is the person? Jeez, Louis, this guy's. I expected like a. I expected like a sixty-year-old yeah. man. This man is thirty. And he's not even forty. So let me tell you what he did. Um, stop. Um, he. Uh, I was yelling at Google. Sorry. Um, he uh, took. He appropriated. I, yeah, it's gonna be my baby because I'll never have a family. Um, he appropriated the uh, the spe- the public thoughts and these like notions and quotes and things of these feminists, the, the stuff that he's using to attack trans people and that stuff that he utilized to uh, create this 
attack and design this blueprint on what Republicans should do when they're attacking trans people legislatively, which he created and, and disseminated to them. He took some um, turf ideology and stuff that I guess had been like create like thoughts that had been qu- literally quotes from some tr- uh, tr- turfs. And then they called him out on it. Um, and this one woman was like, um, you know, I can't believe you're taking, you know, my, my, uh, what I said about trans women. I, I agree with you. Let's join the fight, you know, but you're, you are taking something from a woman and how are you going to be defending women it, saying that you, because you're saying that you want to defend cis women from trans women, that's the messaging. And how are you going to be saying you'd want to defend women, but you're stealing from a woman and making money off of my ideas without giving me credit? You're not really helping women. And, and you know, like you're not moving us towards helping women. And his reply, basically, I'm paraphrasing, was like, bitch, I ain't interested in helping women. I don't care about you. I'm going to take what you have and I'm going to. Plot twist. <laughs> And this was on a twist. He didn't. His response was, his response was, shut up, bitch. Shut the fuck up, bitch. Sit your bitch ass down, bitch. You're a bitch. And, 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 and I'm a man. It, effectively, it was that clearly he didn't use that language and he didn't call her a bitch. But he was like, don't get it twisted. I have no interest in um, your cause or, or furthering women and making sure that they're equal. I think she, I think her point was, how are we going to have equality for women when men like, when a man is stealing from our ideas and we should be on the same team with attacking trans women who are also, in her words, men who are attacking women. And he's like, don't get it twisted. I'm not here to help women. (laughs) I don't know why she thought that she really thought she was like, he was like, bitch, get your hand out of my motherfucking face. We ain't no motherfucking exactly. allies, bitch. But that's I'm a what white, the point is. Man. These women who are espousing all this anti all this trans, all transphobic rhetoric, what I call transphobic rhetoric and anti-trans uh, ideology and wanting to remove, you know, like making sure that like doing and saying things that will result in the actions of trans, mostly trans women is who they're attacking, uh, trans, trans masked folks and trans men being uh, sort of discredited and, and, um, trying to delegitimize the, uh, you know, the existence of trans men by just calling them confused lesbians and then turning around and saying that trans women are just men that are trying to get into women's spaces and saying, you know, saying stuff like that, that they know will result in things like saying that there's going to be a bathroom um, genitalia check or looking at people's um, estrogen and hormone, uh, estrogen and testosterone levels to decide whether or not they can like go into a women's space. That negatively affects cis women. So in the impact of that, in addition to hurting trans women, it also impact uh, uh, cis women because the impact of that is you're not allowed to have bodily autonomy. And if we're talking about women's rights, bodily mm-hmm. autonomy is very, very important, high up on the list. So these people who are calling themselves feminists are actually furthering the cause and the patriarchy that wants to eliminate bodily autonomy for all women, cis and trans, which I think is just ironic. I know that was a long way to get to that point, but that was my point. Y'all, we're taking we're taking the long way everywhere today, okay? <laughs> everywhere we're going today, we're taking the long route. So if you're not willing to get into it, then honey, get into it. By the way, the, the interesting thing about uh, this idea of like trans women are attacking um, women, I just want I just want to I just want to give some numbers to y'all. So based on what study you're using, you can either use uh, Williams Institute from UCLA, or you can use uh, a lot of different. In anywhere between 1.4 to 2.5% of America is uh, 
is trans women or trans femmes or people who were assigned male at birth who identify as a as trans and on the feminine perspective of that. Okay. Um, that is, there is there just are not there there is no attack on cis women. Um, that would there's not enough people. That would be a <laughs> war that would be lost instantly because what are you going to do with anywhere between one, on the low end 1.4% on the high end 2.5% depending on what study I, you're doing I think, identify as trans feminine i think so there there's no there the, the attack is um is, this is uh, a in my opinion this is an easy distraction so that uh politicians can do stuff like uh plan 2025 which i don't know if you guys have heard about plan 2025 but it's just basically an, an, an attempt to get um by by the um, I, I can't remember the institute. I'll, I'll get their information in a second, but it's just a plan to put in a, a Republican into office and and then give them more power than a president should ever have. Listen, um, and I, I recommend you all Google it. They always try to keep us distracted. I agree. I think that we I'm sorry project. Sorry, sorry, it's called Project Twenty Twenty Five. Not plan. It's, it's called Project Twenty Twenty Five. I Go think ahead, that um. T- what speaking of like not wanting to distract us from it, I really do think that we have to be super clear about our language, and that I think what I what I'm picking up is not so much that they think that trans women everywhere are going to like activate and like physically attack people. The attack is that they feel like they some cisgender women <clears throat> are expressing the the fear mongering is that a man is uh, someone that they're calling as a man, which they're saying trans women <clears throat> are going to come in and. Um, physically assault them, which is an attack, of course. That would be considered attack if that were to happen, which we know it's not. Um, And there's, it's not because even if there were more trans women, we're not, it's not happening. Even if there were 50% of us, it's not happening. That's the first, that's the most important thing I think is like, that's not happening at all. It hasn't happened. It's not happening. But even with the smaller numbers of people, uh, you know, that is a, a red herring. It's it's just not true. But then, in, in addition to that, the other thing that I hear from cis women is that they, what I'm hearing it as an insecurity, I'm observing it as an insecurity, is this feeling of the replacement that there that cis women are being replaced by trans women, and I hear that a lot in in um you know like conversations with black black women who are you know, sort of like the the turf version, the black turf, I guess, or black fart. Farts, farts, <laughs> the black farts. I can't. I don't know if I can. We're calling them farts. I can't. We're calling See, them farts. I feel away because I don't like, I don't. You don't like farts. I don't like farts either. I can't say, In I can't say what I was about to say I, on, I ca- on camera. Um, I have a problem calling that, saying that to well, black women. Um, but, the black women who are transphobic um, uh, are, I hear them expressing a frustration. It seems like most of their frustration is in relation to the black men or men in general, but black men um, and wanting to, what they're saying they want to protect black men from, from women and they want to protect themselves from being replaced by women, uh, trans women. Like they don't want to, they're comparing themselves to yeah. trans women and a, well, we're the natural ones and we are the ones who have better and you're trying to take our men. When I hear black women talk in a, a way that's transphobic in general, um, I'm, I, a lot of times I've heard it through that context. It's not so much about, I'm concerned about sports. I don't hear black women sitting around talking about not being able to be, have their daughter on the team or, you know what I mean? It's mostly 
like yeah, I, I, being I, replaced. I definitely noticed that there's a lot of different when I when I say attack on on cis women, I don't mean like a literal physical arms war. What I mean is there's different conversations. One is about these bathrooms and this idea that um that trans women are trying to uh somehow touch your children. And there's then I've seen also the same thing where like we're trying what trans women are trying to take your man. This is I've seen this from a lot of the um uh transphobia in the black community I, that's that's the more i see there yeah and then in the white transphobia the white the, the, the white farts and, and i noticed the white the white farts tend to be talking about these bathroom ideas and these sports things and where their kids are going to play um also they just uh banned um okay I, this is a hearsay i, I just saw a friend talk about this online so i didn't do any research on this but i just saw a thing that um that uh trans women were banned from uh um, yeah. playing yeah. chess the National Chess Association, and I'm like, I did not, I did not know chess was gendered. I didn't even know chess was a gendered sport. Yeah. That is, that's wild, right? Chess being gendered is wild, right? I tweeted about that. Yeah, it's, 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 it really does. People who, um, like, are proponents of that, and isn't that misogyny? Is it, is it chess being gendered misogynistic? Well, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, they're saying, are, are we saying that women are not? equal and even in playing chess it's like not even i i i'm not gonna say that playing chess is not athletic because i i don't want to or that it's not a sport it's i can certainly concede that chess is a sport in terms that it's like a game and of competition obviously but some games of competition are more physical than other and i i generally associate sports and when we're talking about uh the this is what there's, I'm saying. Like at first, they were like, "We just we want to use the bathrooms." When that didn't work, we they were saying, "We want to um, keep trans girls out of the lo- locker rooms." And then and then when they got that, then they moved to, "We want to keep trans girls out of playing in sports at all." Before it was like, "You can play on the sports team, but you just can't change in the locker room." Now it's then it went to like, "You can't even be in the sport. We don't care what locker room you use. You're not going to be in the sport because you have an advantage and you're winning over all the other girls," which is definitely not true. It's definitely not ha- not happening. And the number one witness that they use in many of the um, hearings and and uh, in their evidence, so-called evidence about, you know, trans, cis girl losing to a trans woman, trans girl, um, was it was a lie because she beat the trans girl in competition twice. And so, like, that was wrong. But the, saying that, that the trans girls are going to be, if you allow them in the competition, they're going to win all the competitions and that's just not fair to girls. And so that's obviously not true and it's not happening, but that's what they said. And then they moved and said, it's just youth. We want to make sure, we want to make sure that trans youth don't have access to the healthcare. And we, we, we think if they're taking hormones, then it's unfair advantage and it's a performance ha- enhancing drug. So we want to not only stop them from being on the team, but now we want to stop them, anyone, them from being able to access gender affirming care and hormones because A, it's dangerous to our girls and B, we don't know, we're going to protect them too because we think it's, you know, harmful to them and it's not, which is also a lie and not true. Uh, and so then they said, but it's just, Trans youth, we're just going to stop it from affecting trans youth. We don't want trans youth to be able to be on sports teams and have access to gender affirming care and hormones. You know, it's just the youth. Which and then in Florida, now, we know that's not the true because SB254. It's not even just the youth. It's all, it's well, adults. Yeah. They're moving up to age 18 and 25. SB254 in Florida. Well, what we don't, a lot of people don't know is SB254 in Florida has made it so that um, even trans adults cannot have their hormones prescribed by a uh, a nurse practitioner which by the way uh, overwhelming majority of uh trans people and cis people who are on HRT 
are prescribed their hormones by a nurse practitioner. Most people see a nurse um, practitioner. Most, most people of, don't even actually see yeah. an actual doctor. Exactly. Most of your most of the times you've you've had a medicine prescribed to you was done by a nurse practitioner. However, this law in Florida, SB 254, has made it so that no trans people can get their hormones prescribed by a nurse practitioner. You have to go to an, a physician. And by the way, that only applies to trans people. If you are on HRT because of anything else that, that's not because you're trans, you can still have a nurse practitioner. It's only specifically for trans people. They keep, so what they're doing is they're they keep moving the goalposts, goal mm -hmm. but not further right. But not further. They're actually moving closer and closer and closer to the point where it's before the start line and you can't even get started. So there used to be a bridge where they move the goalposts further and further away, but now they're moving it so close that the goalpost is now in front of the start line and you can't even enter mm -hmm. the game. You can't even enter the race. You can't even participate in society. Yeah. It's it's it is obviously really upsetting, and they keep changing the definitions and and how like the, they're what they say they're trying to do, and and we if we so if we concede that to them and we give them this space, then it allows them to take up that space, push us out of the space, and then come further in, and we're being sort of like painted into a corner every time we concede, uh, you know, certain ground, which is really really difficult because we are arguing sort of these these situations in good faith, and they are not. They are they're being disingenuous. They're using they're using inaccurate and misleading and like in, in, incorrect information to achieve what it is that they're achieving at the legislative and legal level. Uh, my good friend Chase Strangio, uh, who's an ACL an attorney for the ACLU, uh, you know the ACLU uh, are basically human rights advocacy through 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 the legal system, um, and Chase is in charge of uh, or Chase is the attorney who um, oversees uh, trans justice and also reproductive justice and was arguing, um, you know, just yesterday on the first, well, just this, this week uh, about, you know, a case that's moving up and right now it's in, it's in the appellate court. And if it, once it, once they already lost at every other level and it's now at the, in the appeals court and, they think that, you know, it doesn't look too good about the the judge judgment about um in favor of trans healthcare uh being removed. And then they then it's gonna go to the Supreme Court where they're already sitting, you know, like it's a it's a conservative court and we pretty much know how they're gonna rule given their um their recent history. Yeah. So it's it's track record. The the, yeah. the, 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 the thing is that, you know, not to sum up too much, but like we can see that feminism and I believe that feminism and racism and transphobia and homophobia, all these things are like so connected to the, the, not only the patriarchy, like the binary, which serves the patriarchy, but I, you know, in, after having done transparent, the play that I did uh, this year and learning more about Hitler and how the, the Nazi rise to power. Um, and then I watch a really great video by Cat Black sort of um, contextualizing and framing like four years ago, the 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 rise of the the new like nationalism, white nationalism in the United States, is really a uh, really it's a very long video, but it's really interesting YouTube video by Cat Black. Um, we can see. I love Cat Black. We should have we Cat Black should, on the podcast. I would love to have her Cat Black on. is really. She. Uh, we can smart. see. Um, you know the comparison between you know. Uh, fascism in Nazi Germany and then what's happening today. And fascism really, 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 really needs a very strict binary, um, whether it's rich and poor, 
black or white, Jew or Gentile, gay or straight, male or female, so that they can operate and always have someone be oppressed. There's always a person who's going to get and a person who's not going to get. And that's, um, feminism is like, you know, being, all these things are being co-opted, you know, and, and used. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'm I'm on, off on a tangent. We got so, a lot to say about feminism. We have some guests well, too. <laughs> well, we're not the only ones that have a lot of things to say about feminism. We have a lot of people, we have a few people who are going to join us today. Two folks in particular. One of them um, is a social impact leader and a diversity educator who works in the nonprofit arena. And they're going to speak to us on the difference between radical and intersectional feminism. Um, so let's please listen to uh, uh, Corey Beeman. My name is Corey Beeman. My pronouns are she, hers, hers, uh, and I identify as a queer cisgender black woman. I am a talent solutions partner. Um, I also uh, work in the nonprofit sector, uh, specifically around diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I've been in nonprofit since I was little, but I ended up doing nonprofit for an HIV and AIDS organization. Did that for about uh, seven and a half years and then um, started to look for something new. And the actually the company that uh, headhunted me while I was looking for a new job, um, I went on an interview. I didn't get the job that they had put me forward to, but I was very curious about their practices. So I asked the right questions and the uh, CEO of the organization, which is called Diverse Force, um, and their partner reached out to me and said, hey, do you wanna work for us? And I said, sure. So I started working as a contractor for a little bit in diversity recruiting, um, and then came as a full-time remote worker within diversity recruiting for executive level positions. When did I know I was queer? I would probably say, in retrospect, when I was like 11, um, but not until I was an adult that I was able to actually identify and name what it meant to be queer, because it wasn't like, oh, you know, my sexual orientation or my um, interest uh, you know, involving my heart and my body wasn't necessarily male or female. Um, I just always kind of knew I was a little bit different. Um, and then growing up into a space of doing work with HIV and AIDS, it really kind of honed into me to understand who I was and how I identify as a queer woman. Um, so I probably would say about my 20, 20th year of living, I was like, oh, I'm queer. I know what it means to be queer. To be queer, um, I don't adapt to heteronormative perspectives. Um, Some days I feel a little more androgynous than others. Um, I don't feel as though I have to fit into this pretty pink uh, version of what societal standards are of a woman. Um, And so I I kind of understood that that it's okay to be myself and not always be the picturesque version of a woman. A society, and I would say a Western society, specifically speaking of the United States, because I, I I could go on and on about you know how other cultures view women, but a, a Western society view of what a woman is to be is supposed to be a woman supposed to be soft. I hear words like nurturer, um, caregiver, uh, seen and not heard. You know those traditional societal norms that have been placed 
specifically from the perspective of what a white woman is, um, but even more so for being a woman of color, specifically me being a black woman, because I can only speak as a, a black woman, a cisgender black woman who, in my experiences, is to be very submissive and not show dominance and not pers- 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 in a perspective, give dominance. Um, I'm supposed to have my, according to Instagram, I'm supposed to have my body right. Uh, my hair did, my nails done. Those relative things um, that are uh, considered to be beauty standards of what a woman is. So it's multifaceted for sure. I feel like a, the majority of that perspective comes from patriarchy, um, but I also feel as though it's driven from social economical standings as well. Um, you know, I feel as though more women who ha- make a certain amount of money or live in a specific area, um, you know, they have the right to be more dominant and more forward because that's what's allowed, uh, society allows of them. And that's what they've earned and climbed to the top um, to kind of create. So I think it's patriarchy, yes, but I also think it's social economical as well. Let me throw a random number. If you make $600,000 a year, um, nobody's going to question what you do or how you do it as a woman because you have the money to to tell people you're not going to tell me. But if I'm, you know, making twenty nine thousand dollars a year and I'm a CNA and I, you know, live live in what's considered the hood, I'm not necessarily provided or with the resources for me to be confident in who I am. The biggest divide between them is the belief that there's a difference, right? Why do why do these two women have to be pigeonholed into these and again these are hypotheticals, but why do they have to be pigeonholed into their identity based upon those minimal factors? They could still be the exactly the same woman. However they show up and represent themselves, they can still be the same woman, but I feel as though there are so many barriers and boundaries placed upon the woman who has a lesser income because they're they're supposed to be away and pity themselves versus the woman who has, again, the resources at her leisure to be and say and do whatever she wants. Access is limiting um, in so many ways when it comes to being the best version of yourself, right? There are more people and, and speak particularly women when it comes to access and resources the limitations specifically for black women are definitely higher than they are for any other, I would say, you know, women of color, but I would say in general, like it's so much harder. I wouldn't want to, I don't even want to say harder. The challenge that is placed upon um, us as women is it's grander. I would say in the space of having to create those opportunities and those avenues of access for ourselves consistently. I feel like feminism is a buzzword. I, I like to like look at it how like people think of like corporate jargon. There's feminism. You throw it out there, and I think a lot of people tend to forget the the, the basis of feminism. Um, but for me, I believe it is a, more than just women empowerment. It is understanding lived women experiences and being able to speak to those experiences whether or not I am, I've experienced them myself, right? So I feel like that, that to me is what it is. Like the lived experiences 
of women, and I'm saying women, not just, you know, cisgender or transgender, I'm saying women, those experiences of all of the different types of women. That's what I I, I see feminism as and embodying it and and embracing it, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Western society has a very warped or skewed vision of what uh, feminism is. Um, And I think that they sometimes kind of transverse that with womenism. They're like, oh yes, I believe women can do anything they put their mind to and it's great. But it's like, all women? Are we saying all women? Are we are we being inclusive with that? Um, and so I think that, you know, when I think of uh, feminism, I my brain in the most recent time goes to um, the pink hat uh, experience, right? Everyone saw these women marching and they were wearing these pink hats and they were like, yes, women are really taking back. And I'm like, this is really performative. <laughs> this is this is a show. Um, and I think that it it goes further than just being able to knit a crochet pink hat, throw it on your head and be like, women can do any, anything. So I think that what I try to bring when I talk about feminism and I talk about the experiences of women, diverse women, um, I try to put people's mindsets and their thinking into a place to say, hey, how can I be empathetic and aware of myself through the lens and experiences that women experience on a day-to-day basis? And how can I speak to it and and advocate, right? Because it's about advocacy. How can I have positive advocacy behind those experiences that are varying for women, all women? As a, as a young Black woman myself, I think that um, it's about making space at a table for everyone. Um, we're really on this. I feel like my generation um, and my generation being like 30-something millennials, um, I feel like, you know, we're constantly trying to create this space of doers and act, action-based people. We really don't know how to pull from that. And so in my mind, I... I think that it should be a beautiful combination of women of all colors, transgender women, uh, LGBTQ women um, who are allies and sit in that space. Um, I think it should be women who maybe are a slight older who have who have no qualms or fears of sharing their story because I think that when we come together young and a little bit, a little bit older and a little bit young, we have this really great passing of the guard to be able to be transparent and say like, okay, I know that I experienced this when I was 15 and I had no idea that my own mother or my aunt experienced that at the same age, but we never talked about it. And so I think that the, that the conversation needs to be inclusive of varying ages, varying social economic backgrounds and varying cultural backgrounds as well. You know, I saw I saw more white women coming together to make these marches versus seeing there were women of color behind the scenes. I actually know a woman of color who helped organize the march in Philadelphia. And 
I didn't see her in any publications. And not to say that she was seeking that, but it's like, if it wasn't for this one black woman, I don't know if, if the event would have even happened. And, and to just say that, there's so many instances where I say, if it wasn't for that one black woman, X, Y, and Z would have never happened. And it's so true. And it's, and it's, it, it's so common to, to see that there is this, uh, they are, there are these women of color behind the scenes making things happen and they're never given the, the flowers and the accolades that they should be receiving in the moment. Look at look at the beauty standards when it comes to media, right? I could have a big butt, I could have, you know, nice sized breasts, but when it comes down to it, um if if I don't look like Kim Kardashian, I'm just going to be categorized and hypersexualized. But on Kim Kardashian and women who get those injections and fillers and all of that to look like me, Oh, it's beautiful. It's trendy. It's, it's, oh, it's, it's cutting edge. And you're like, okay, but I have those same features. And I think that internally for young black women, it makes it so hard for them to appreciate what they already have. Like they're working so hard to be something else. And it's, it's a constant pull to really understand like, okay, yeah, I have thick thighs. Okay. I have a little booty. There's nothing wrong with my little booty. I don't have a big chest. It, it creates this really toxic for personally for me, a toxic perspective that makes me go, what are we teaching ourselves and the women coming up underneath of us? Media and in our like social culture, we, we've been pushing the, the terminology of bo- body positivity, right? But embodying body positivity means that it's okay to sometimes be like, I love my body. And sometimes to be like, gosh, I do not like the way I look today. <laughs> um, and that's okay. Love, love is always, is, is not something that is, uh, that isn't allowed to be stop and go, right? I can have moments where I'm happy with the way that I look. And I can have moments where I'm just like, oh, this little bit of pudge right here. If, if only I can get it go. I think that we should talk more so, or the solution should be more about embracing, right? Take out body positivity and say body embracing. My body is mine and I love it. Even, even when it lets me down, like for instance, I'll, I'll be transparent. I have rheumatoid arthritis. I was diagnosed um, at 31 and my body has limitations where I'm just like, gosh, you know, as an autoimmune disease, it is really frustrating to, you know, see things that happen to my skin that I can't control or see my hands contort in a way that I, I can't control Um, or my feet too, but it's like, I still embrace the body that I have because it's mine. It's wholly mine. Nobody else can tell me what to do with it. Tell me how to use it, where to put it. It's my body. So taking ownership of our bodies, I think is the biggest solution based thought that we can put into messaging. Your body's yours. All my life when I was younger, I would probably probably say like middle and high school, right? So we're talking like early 2000s, <laughs> um, not like 1999, early 2000s. I, I was really pushing to not be brown skin. I just didn't, I didn't think I was pretty. All the light skinned girls got all the attention. 
all the light-skinned girls, especially if they were light-skinned and had good hair, that's a whole nother conversation, but if they were light-skinned and had good hair, it was equated to pretty. And that takes us all the way back to the brown paper bag test. You know, back in the day, if you were lighter, if you were lighter than a brown paper bag, you you were passing, you were, you were considered beautiful. And so I now look at my skin and I look at how pretty it is and how, you know, it's not dark, it's not light, it's just right there. And I'm like, it's so unique. It's unique. And I look at women, I look at beautiful light-skinned women and I look at some of the most beautiful dark-skinned Sudanese women that have this richness to their skin where I'm just like, oh my goodness, you are, you are onyx. You are so beautiful. Um, and that's why I love like diversity of of shades with people of color because you could have somebody who is you know very 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 dark and their skin is just this richness but you can also have somebody who has a beautiful creamy like mocha color skin and you're just like it's beautiful it's beautiful to see the rainbow of colors that make up women humans people in general it's so colorism i think within the spectrum of feminism is being able to address it head on, right? Why, why, why are we, why does it always have to be in a friend group? Oh, that's the light skinned girl or that's the dark skinned girl. Why do we have to kind of have these dynamics um, when we're just, when it's like, no, that's my friend who's a beautiful artist. That's my friend who, you know, she runs track. Like, there are other qualities of women that are more than just the color that they have on their skin. And so I think that we have to address it head on. And if if we're in spaces where we see it, again, that, that key aspect of feminism, being an advocate, also means being able to be vocal and speak on things that are, aren't, for me, you know, appropriate in spaces where they shouldn't live. Why, why do we have to talk about color? I get frustrated when I see celebrity photos and I can clearly tell that they have been edited to make that person lighter. And I'm like, why are we doing that? So I think that, again, it's our job, and I do it all the time, to call it out. Call out when stuff is wrong. I think that that's also being a a feminist or an ally, an ally of a feminist, you know, because again, people need to understand that feminism is about women experience, but being an ally to feminism is being able to say, Hey, I don't think that that's right. And, and I think that more people should be exposed to the fact that this is not right and offer a solution. Like, Hey, did you notice that people magazine lightened the skin of Beyonce? Why are we doing that? That's not her skin tone. And vice versa. Why is Kim Kardashian on Vogue magazine 10 shades darker than what she really is? And you can say, oh, whoops, makeup, it was that. But it's no, it's it's a misrepresentation of women, which is something that feminism is consistently trying to bring attention to. The misrepresentation of women is the biggest issue consistently, especially in America. So, you know, I try to keep myself really, you know, in the loop. And I started to see, I try to say that my algorithm on social media is, has has gotten so perfect that it keeps me out of like the stuff that triggers me. But my algorithm definitely pointed me towards 
these cisgender black women who were like, I'm not using the term cisgender. I'm a woman. And anybody else who, and I just, honestly, I was like, how, like, how are we having this conversation where we as black women are pitted against each other so much, literally are, we're thrown into the, this really toxic energy that wants us to not be supportive of one another. And it frustrates me. So when I heard this chatter about, you know, trans women and one of my very, very, very good friends is a trans woman. Um, and my experience with her and her transition, um, has not only been eye-opening for me, but it allowed me to truly understand, like, we are sisters. You are my sister. I don't care what anyone else says. I'm going to support you because, yes, you may not experience men a menstrual cycle like I do, but I will never understand or, or experience your transition. And in that, we are the same because we are still women. And that, like, to me, for the women, my message to the women, the Black cisgender women who are vilifying transgender women and Black transgender women, we have to understand and respect one another with love because transgender women, their experiences, th their oppressive experiences, and the rate in which Trans women are dying by suicide and by murder. Black women specifically is so triggering that there needs to be a space for more acceptance versus hate. To some degree, there are some some women who are like, "Yes, I'm not at the bottom," but I think it's also it's a lack of understanding. Just because something is different to you and different to how society has told you it's supposed to be, doesn't mean that it's any better or makes you any better. Um, and that's, that's the, the thing that I can't wrap my head around is it's like, why would you being in the place that we have, have systemically been as black women, why would you then use your position and the power that we have? Cause sometimes people don't understand the truth of being at the bottom. Okay. Because being at the bottom means you're the foundation. You hold it all together. You hold it up. So when people intend for it to be something negative, I embrace it and say, sure, I'll be at the bottom because without me, you'll go nowhere. You have no top. So I'll be at the bottom if that's what it is in your mind and you need me to be. But when it comes to trans women, why, why, why not pull on those that support and say, this is my sister. We're in this struggle together. We're in the trenches together and we're going to do this together to be stronger I, I feel like that's a thing that cis, black, cisgender black women who are providing negativity towards my trans sisters, you're, you're missing, you're missing the divisiveness of what society is trying to make you all do. You're missing the moment where we could be building instead of tearing each other apart. I would love to see a movement that involves support a movement that's that involves open transparent conversations and i would love to see that that building or that structure um come from a like a very genuine place right i think that 
we tend to shy away from things that we don't know and our our innate ability as women to talk about like what we're fearful of or afraid of um, and create a space to be like, yes, let's sit down and let's just have a conversation. I mean, that's why I think so many things are, you know, messed up in this world is because there's, there's not enough time to sit down and talk and learn and be open and receptive. That key word of being like, receptive of information because we 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 sit through mess all day every day social media you know the news if you ever turn it on um the conversations of our peers we sit we sift through a bunch of mess but intentional conversation um that is created between cisgender women cisgender black women transgender women queer women bisexual women lesbians, having a, or, and, and heteronormative women, having a space to really just have a conversation and just talk. Cause we, as women, we know we love to talk, but <laughs> we could have a conversation that is receptive. That is not necessarily a, a transaction, you know, just back and forth. What can you do for me? What can I do for you? But more intentional of like, I want to hear what you have to say and I want to learn from you. I think that um, for cishet white women, um, there are so many women that I know who genuinely are like, I am an ally. I support you as a black woman. I support your, 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 your struggles and, you know, I love you. But then there are some cishet white women who are like very performative of, in that, in that space. And they just say it because they feel like it's the right thing to say. And, you know, I put a black card up on my Facebook profile. So, you know, I, I'm, I, I care. Like I, I remember during the George Floyd, uh, black lives matter movement, uh, during COVID, I had random people I hadn't talked to for years, reach out to me on social media. And they were like, what can I do? How can I like, you know, I just want to show up for you. And it's like, my knee jerk response was like, send me $50 um, to pay my bills. But <laughs> in actuality, it was like, I haven't talked to you in 10 years. Why do you feel like this is now the moment to capitalize on this? Why do you feel now is the moment to talk to me when you had opportunities throughout our myriad years of friendship to talk about you know, what it means and ask me questions about what it means to be a black woman? You took this moment to capitalize and say, I'm going to talk about it. You could have did it on a random Tuesday night. I mean, I get it. You you want to show your your respect, but it's also like, why do, why does it have to be something tragic that brings you to want to have this conversation with me? Why can't it be something positive? Like, hey, I just got a I just got a certificate from UPenn about diversity. You didn't want to reach out to me then. You didn't want to reach out to me when I was out here pushing for, you know, more visibility about black women and black bodies or more visibility about the alarming rate and death rate of transgender black women. You didn't bring it up then. So it's it's like, why do we have to wait until tragedy strikes to have a conversation? When it comes to support, financial support is great. Yes. I feel like everyone, every person who is not a black woman should just really give money to a black woman. Um, but I think that 
it's it's more than just financial support. It is it is about you know physical re- representation and um, showing up. I feel like that is that is the biggest delineation or separating or dividing force is that action behind those dollars is so undervalued and having having the self-awareness in spaces where you know cis white women are like I should lead this you know conversation about I don't know the crown act <laughs> and you're like no you shouldn't I know that you may work in government and nonprofit but you should seek out the person a black woman or a hairstylist to talk about the crown act you should create, I think white women and white men who really truly want to support, you know, intersectional feminism and the voices of black women and women of color should understand that their privilege is our access. I know that we talked about that earlier, but the way that people can really, you know, show up and and give support is to utilize their privilege and say, okay, I know that I am a white person in this space and this space is not for me. So I'm going to go out and get the person who this space is for. And I'm going to make them the focal point of whatever it is that we are doing in order to make sure it's not a marketing ploy, but that it is an actual, actionable, purposeful, intentional thought in bringing awareness and amplifying black voices <sighs> all right that was Corey beeman you can find her on instagram at k at k underscore s-i-n-a-e that's k-a-y underscore s-i-n-a-e thank you Corey, for um for giving us your your very i wonder if that's tip. pronounced shanae it looks like it is it would be if anyway <laughs> what's hey, shanae well, what's your name? The Instagram handle K S I N A E oh. is K Shanae. You know, it probably it probably is K Shanae, but it is. I'm gonna spell it for y'all. K Y underscore S I N A E. Who knew know. that there was? I went. I went. I went to public school in uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. So please don't. I'm just kidding. To anyone, by the way, Atlanta public schools are fine. I mean, actually, Clayton County was had a bit of a rough spot, but that's a that's a whole side. We did lose our accreditation for a short while. Wow. Um, yeah, I, my mind is blown that, that, the different, it's, I, it's important to distinguish, like, in addition to the waves of feminism, the, uh, different types and styles of feminism and, um, intersectional feminism, uh, is, is not a term that I've, I, 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 I usually try to view things through an intersectional lens. And so that is a part of my vocabulary, but intersectional feminism as an actual term, um, I have not used, I've not heard much and I have not really used, but I think that's how I'm going to adopt. So I'm not a feminist. I'm not just a feminist. I'm an intersectional feminist. And I think that's my new, like, I want to make sure that that's out there so that we can at least have the opportunity to explain to people what intersectionality is. Um, because the people who are anti-trans are not, um, you know, using empathy and viewing it intersectionally. You're an, you're an, you're an, you're an if an intersectional feminist. I'm a. We have the ifs, the turfs, and the I'm farts. An if I, I'm you're an, an if, if she's a fart. I'm an if she's a fart. I'm an if <laughs> she's a fart. And by the way, listen. If you're a fart and you're listening to this, just stick around. You might learn something. You might learn something. <laughs> I d- any farts here in the room. <laughs> 
Oh, take a big whiff. That term is tough for me. You, <laughs> but I guess if it's like, <laughs> if we are we going to be able to get it? It just feels like a little lacking in decorum. So are we going to be able to get it to the to the point where like journalists and and platforms and outlets are going to be when they're speaking about anti trans women, we're going are going to ca- start calling them farts because you know like. If they, if we do, if we're able to actually replace the term turf with fart, and then, then, yeah. then the turfs adopt fart, them just saying I am a fart just sounds. I don't know that's gonna happen. Well, the issue is the issue, Pep, is they lack decorum. So you can't meet a lack of decorum right. with a, an abundance of it. So if you act like a fart, <laughs> if you if it, if it looks like a fart and it smells like a fart, it's probably a fart. You're right. I'm not let's, trying to. I'm not trying to project uh, um, respectability politics. I'm just saying it'll be interesting to hear if they adopt the term "fart" the way that they've, I get apparently adopted the term "turf." You know, if we can get the young turfs, the young Turks will be the first ones. If there's any news outlet that's going to adopt the term "fart," it's going to be the young Turks first, for sure. <laughs> yes, I agree. Wait, in terms of how they identify. No, just get just call using the term oh, yeah. fart, like getting them to use the term fart. If we can get Hassan Minaj, um, no Hassana B, sorry. If we can get Hassana B to um to yeah, use but the term he's fart, he's no longer on the Young Turks. We're halfway there. Um, and the Young Turks are no longer well, feminists. No, <laughs> are they not? No, girl, where have you been? I have obviously, obviously, yeah. I've not, I've not, I've not, I've not watched the Young Turks in a really long time. Yeah, they they are uh there is a are they bros now uh are they bros there's something though? happening in political um like the sort of like youtube political pundit types where there's a blurring of the lines and there and this is part of that strategy i think to like get people to think one thing or the other in the in the grand scheme of the candace owens of it all like a black person saying stuff that is you know upholds white supremacy and it harms uh black folks in my opinion um the young turks are now that uh quote-unquote progressive news outlet that has really 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 cozied up with the idea of being turfy um and anti-trans specifically and there's you can see in some of the um some of the things that they release some of the videos that they've been releasing over the past few months just like sort of a move towards I guess at the, from from really far away, it looks like they're not leftist. Um, they are in, you know, they're liberal, but not even liberal. They're like centrist liberal. So like they're really, really the what people would say like the boomer sort of liberal would be um, where they are, like they love the, the cap. They love capitalism and they are want to use the, the two party system and vote for the Democrat over the Republican. And that's all you have to do. Um, they just hate Trump. They just hate Trump. Yeah, it's That's just Trump. They just hate yeah, but they they're hate but Trump. they're but they're really really starting to like Anna Kasparin has some um we don't have to get into it, but like the the Young Turks has become um you know an ally to uh many people who are also transphobic and turfy. Interesting. You know, uh I, quick question before we move on. Do you think Candace Owens is a like, fart? Is she Oh, she's a fart for sure. But is she is she in on it? Is she like 
God, that's what These I, I don't know. Or does, or does she truly? Because you know, the one that was when I was like, okay, this woman is trolling, was when she was mad that Kim Kardashian put a person in a wheelchair in an ad, and she's like, this is going too far. And I was like, that's well, going people, too well, far. One, it is literally. Well, not well, well. The reason why I was so wild was like Kim Kardashian was just was just um advertising specifically lingerie for people who have limited mobility. So like, if you need to like if you need your zipper put on the side or in the front or as opposed to hook in the back, it was it was an advertisement for people who have limited mobility. And she was like, this is just too far. This is ridiculous. Like, when are we going to realize that we're just dumb? We need to start. The whole country needs to start over. But that's it. Because we're because someone acknowledged that people in wheelchairs wear lingerie. Like, what's happening? Well, you can here? see that. I mean, I, I do think like, it could have been trolling. But um, I, I read a book. The book is called uh, The Man in the High Castle. It's a dystopian story uh, that sort of depicts a world uh, post-war uh, in 1940, 1933, 1940, uh, you know, after the Nazis, where, where Hitler and the Nazis won, America lost, and Japan, hit, Germany and Japan won, and the, America lost. And so the Nazis are in this. control, and New York has, like, they bust down the Statue of Liberty and put up this, like, Nazi thing. It's, like, wild. I was really able to take a lot of the ideas that folks like Cat Black said in the rise of white nationalism and sort of see, watching what's happening in our political landscape and system today um, and how these, how fascism, you can really see how fascism, uh, fascism in, in, th in this context in America really keys in on you must be genetically perfect. And the only people who are genetically perfect are Aryans who are blonde haired, blue eyed, able-bodied, Two legs, two arms. You, they even will test your children. Any in in I don't know if they actually did this in Nazi Germany, but in the in the story of the man in the high castle, there's there's testing. You have to get testing, screening, and if you have any type of um, physical ailment, asthma, that we want to eliminate it. So we will take your children if they have a, a disease or an illness or a chronic illness or any type of condition. You must be genetically pure and. The first part of being genetically pure is being Aryan and and white and blonde hair, blue eyed, but this and the second part of it is being able bodied, not disabled, and having no physical ailments whatsoever. And other races are just born with all that stuff. But we're gonna um, through you like eugenics, I guess, like breed that out of our um, population. We're gonna make the perfect human. That was like the notion and part of the ideology and some of the thinking. Um, when it came to the fas fascism and like the Hitler brand of the, I'm, I'm no, I'm not a political scholar, um, but this is the idea that comes across and it's, it's demonstrated really well in the story of the man in the high castle. Um, and I've, so I've been observing that story and, and it's so, uh, from that regard, it kind of sounds like the giver. I haven't seen the giver. I, mean, I don't know like what the, the giver book, is. The giver, the book, the giver, the giver is a, the giver is a, I'll talk about it in um, a second. But, yeah. but Candace Owens in the that regard, if she's, if she's, Upholding fat, like really becoming self perpetuating of the idea fascist ideology, then be, someone in a wheelchair is not someone that we want to promote. We don't want to promote that people can be happy in wheelchairs or have it. Mm -hmm. We want to only, you know, people who are what they're saying, able bodied, perfect, like no kind of ailment, no limbs missing, you, any of that. That's so. I don't think she's trolling if she's a fa if she's um, a proponent of fascist ideology.
Yeah, I read. I read the. It sounds like the giver. I read the giver in seventh grade, and the giver is a utopian place where, uh, where no one feels pain, and also anyone who's like the same thing. If you're, if you're, it's a, it's a children's version though. You can read it in like as a kid. If you, if you are born a little uh, unwell, then they um, take you away. They, they, they kill. They take you away, but they don't. Even, they don't. They don't even tell. They don't even tell the people that eighty people die. Like when you get old, you just kind of like go to. You have a party and then you disappear. I've never heard of the givers, but it's like a, it's a ch- like seventh grade reading level. It's. I mean, it's it's, it's not a children's book, but it's yeah, it's a middle school reading. I read it in seventh grade. It, it's actually a really good book. I remember it was it was the first book I ever picked up, and I was like, I cannot. I'm gonna have to down. pick it up. I I'm cannot. gonna have to check into it. It it, it, it is. <laughs> It's a very good book. It's a it's a it's a it's a really quick read, um, and it's it's, it's just a, it's a it's a utopian dystopian future, where everyone is healthy and no one dies and no one feels pain, um, and then this one person is on a quest to be like, this seems weird. Let's figure out what's really going on. And one person is the giver, who is the and and one person is the receiver. So the receiver is the person who, who takes on all the world's pain, so that no one else so that no one else has to. And then that person becomes the giver and they give, they pass that burden on to one mm. selected member of society who takes on all of the, the world's pain. But they also get all the world's joy. I gotta, too. I gotta read that book. Real interesting book. Okay. It is time to get into our next guest. What do you say, Bob? Let's do it. Who do you, who do we have on the docket? Yes, we have Zay, who's an educator and a host of Black to the Future podcast. Yes. Uh, a, I love Black to the Future. I love Black yeah, to the Future. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, Black to the Future is a podcast that dismantles systems of oppression through a Black queer feminist lens. And Zay shares how uh, trans and cis women can come together to build community. So let's welcome Zay. My name is Zayde Fisher, and I use she, her, and her pronouns. I am from Chicago, Illinois, um, born and raised my entire life. Um, Currently, I work at a nonprofit where we help Black and Latinx LGBTQ plus folks find jobs in community health. I am a Black transgender woman. I like to say queer just to make it a nice broad kind of stroke there, although I only am intimate with men, whether they be cis or trans. So that's kind of where I stand. I've probably been an educator for forever. However, um, I think in the traditional sense, probably since like 2014, when I actually was, I still am a music teacher in addition to all that I do. So I, I teach music as well to all the, the, the young Gen Zers and things like that. And they are interesting. Um, but now I kind of get to do that. And I also get to incorporate my passion into it where I get to talk about all the social disparities that my communities face and how we can work together. As someone who literally transitioned like in front of some of these kids, this was like, oh, okay, so now what? You know, it was, it was, hi, my name is one day. And then when I introduced this idea to them that next week we're going to be doing something different, they didn't bat an eye at it. It was honestly a lot of the parents that were like, I'm going to have to explain this to my child. How do I explain this? And I'm like, yeah, they they didn't have a problem with anything. (laughs) As far as kids being more, I guess, accepting, understanding, tolerating, if you will, for 
uh, queer folks, I think in my mind, I think a lot of them have a lot more instant access to things. You know, they carry those little squares around in their hands all the time. So if they have a critical theory question about something, they can probably go, hey, uh, Miss Googles, what is this about? Blah, 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 and things like that. Watch YouTube videos, be informed by TikTok videos, hopefully credible ones. Um, and things along those lines. And I think it's just literally the fact that the information has become extremely accessible for them and for us older generations. You know, we had to go to the library and take books out and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, a lot of this language, a lot of this culture is perceived to be new, but we're just now kind of understanding it and adopting it in like our country and our you know, societies over here. So I um, go out into various parts of community, you know, the Vogue school where, um, you know, Black and Latinx kids, like they, you know, Vogue down and things. And they're like, come on, auntie. I'm like, ooh, no, my knees. I can't be doing that, baby. (laughs) I can't do that. I go there or go to uh, other places and bars, walk up and down in our queer areas and things like that to try to, you know, canvas and talk to those kids and things like that. Because a lot of them haven't been afforded those opportunities. They don't know how to write resumes. They don't know how to search for jobs because a lot of them are just legitimately in survival mode, which is really, really, really unfortunate. Um, And that's just their experience. And so in our program, what we do is we focus a lot on employment so they can be able to garner those skills. And we give them those skills to be able to go back into community, to be able to do great work so they can become HIV testers, peer navigators, um, you know, counselors of all sorts and do all kinds of great work in community. So it's very much a cyclical effect. So we focus all on that by having um, career specialists speak to them about their resume, helping them construct it. Um, my direct supervisor um, has studied public health and he, you know, talks a lot about HIV and things like that. And then for myself, I guess I'm just like the mother counselor person. Um, people always confided me a lot. <laughs> I didn't ask for it, but <laughs> people are just like, I just feel like I can trust you and I can tell you things. And I, you know, I also think it's because I'm a, I'm a black trans woman. So it's like, oh, girl, she's at she's at the worst. Like, there's I, there's nothing I can't tell her that's not going to make her gag. It's like, no, not really, honestly, frankly. Um, but so I kind of provide that. But I also do facilitations on I, I really hone in on gender, actually, for the entire organization. I do that for our new staff and talk about gender and its intersection, of course, with feminism and things like that. So um I really love to do that. And we also go out into different tall skyscraper buildings in the city and educate folks and corporations on like, this is what trans means. This is what cis means. And um, all those kinds of things as well. So it's a really, really great program. Um, It's quite an honor and a privilege to be able to do what I do and give hay for it. Ding! Feminism, in my eyes, is not the opposite of like patriarchy and masculinity and all those things. I tend to think of feminism as an all-inclusive, like everyone gets to have everything and be um, living in a space where they're comfortable, free, and safe, like genuinely on what the principles of, air quotes, America, what she wants to be, but she's kind of struggling being that girl right now. 
Um, so that's what it kind of is. It allows women and people who are assigned female at birth AFAB primarily to step out of the shadow of patriarchy um, and the and the harm that it's caused. It should kind of just be like humanism, like quite honestly. Um, and so that's kind of what we want is to have. That's what I would love is to see it balanced and yeah. Uh, equal is a great word, but we love equity a lot better um, to where it needs to be. But, you know, that's um, a little bit challenging for folks to grasp because we've been in this system for, I don't know, forever. So (laughs) it's hard for people to escape and even um, begin to think about what that can even look like and things like that. It's kind of hard to conceptualize. Although the Barbie movie, she tried. I did enjoy it and she was fun and I loved her, but it's, she tried is what I'll say. Since I kind of, I, I, when I do my feminism and gender equity and things along those lines, I really try to start at the 101 place. And I know a lot of folks in community are like, I am so tired of having those conversations. But the fact of the matter is, is that a lot of people, a shit ton of people, a fuck ton of people are just now getting to the place where they're like, Oh, so calling them the T word is bad. And you're like, great. Now you can start having conversations past that. But if they can't even get to that conversation and get past that without someone being mean and aggressive to them. But as trans people, we have every right to be upset when people call us slurs and things like that. But if they can't even get to that conversation, we can't expect them to start embracing things like language, like being called cisgender and things like that. So I don't mind doing the one-on-one work. And, um, you know, as I said earlier, I work with youth. So the most basic and simple breaking down of concepts and educating folks is no challenge for me in that kind of way. My transition actually, (laughs) it, it, it started in 2018, roughly, you know, physically, as far as that's concerned, all the documentation and medical things and such. So I wasn't involved in nonprofit work. However, I was one of those Twitter girlies who was like, well, whatever she's called now, X, I don't know what she's called. Uh, <laughs> I was one of those Twitter girlies who was like, and like trying to educate simultaneously, only having a certain number of characters. Therefore, this conversation doesn't really resolve or go where we want it to go entirely. When once I start um, wanting to channel that energy into something where I'm like, well, let me see if I can get actually paid to do something like this. Let me see if I can take my nurturing, understanding, um, slightly combative <laughs> energy and and use it in a more fruitful and tactful way. And if I can get a couple coins in my pocket, work. Let's do that. The 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 day I um, got this job. Um, so I don't know if y'all remember, like back in, what was it? Was it the end of 2020? Yes, it was the end of 2020. And that meme was circulating for Black people where I think someone missed, like mistweeted or whatever. They were like, on the 21st of December, Black people are going to get their superpowers, right? And so literally, um, I had conducted two interviews. They were great. I was um, sitting at home, minding my business. I was staring at the ceiling and then I got an, an anonymous number that called me and I was like, I'm going to ignore that. 
And then it was my current now manager. And then um, I called him back like right away. And he's like, I just have a couple more questions for you. I'm just like, sure. You know, I don't know what else more you need from me at this point. And he's like, how would you like to have this job? And I was like, ah! it was, it was one of those moments where I was like crying and squealing because now I'm just like, oh my God, I have a big girl job. Is this real? Is this what's going on? Is this, is this me? Is it my life now? Um, and I just attribute it to that lovely Twitter meme because it happened on that day when I got that phone call <laughs> and I like called my mother and I'm crying and she's like, what? I, I my side note, my mother is very knowledgeable about what being a black trans woman means now. So whenever I call her and I'm upset, she's always like, oh my God, I'm going to get there as soon as I possibly can. So she was like frantic until I told her, like once I got through my tears and she was just so happy for me. Um, and then, of course, I call my best friends. Um, so I will speak from my experience as it pertains to being a Black trans woman. I've had a very different trajectory from a lot of my sisters in community. And I don't think that that's inherently a bad thing because, of course, it takes all kinds to be able to have these things. But um, when I'm trying to explain what this literally means is... Um, God, how do you even put this into words at that time period? So... Uh, a lot of folks understand who they are just because, you know, or because someone has literally told them who they are. Like, oh, you're a woman because of this. You're a man because of this and X, Y, and Z. And then, and even as us as Black people, we don't conceptualize being Black until a certain age. Like, I think there's this lovely misnomer in community where it's um, like, oh, you born Black. It's like, yes, but you don't have a conception of what that means until a certain point, like until you get to a certain age. Um, and same thing with your gender identity. You don't, no one understands what that means until a certain point as well. And so for me, I trying to explain that specifically without language is one of the hardest things you can ever do. And then this is why the conversations that I have are so important to me is because I really want to be able to use the language to be able to explain everything. Um, and I want to be able to break it down so they can have a better understanding and kind of move forward with that because that's kind of where we are with everything that's going on. And so when I was explaining this to my mother, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't like, let's have one sit down conversation and we get it all out. This was a series of conversations, a series of experiences, a series of moments of us really not liking each other and not talking to each other, unfortunately. Um, and a couple great therapy sessions where we really, really kind of went on each other. It was great, <laughs> like in hindsight. So there will be tension. There will be frustrations, derision, and all those kinds of things because they don't know. Like, how do you, it's kind of like expecting a child to know not to touch a hot stove. It's like, how do you expect them to not know that unless you tell them? And then having, um, and Ex, uh, being able to explain it to them and then more so than that being it, for them to be able to comprehend it I think that's kind of where it gets lost you can communicate it to your blue in the faith like I'm a girl I'm a girl I'm a girl if you're a trans woman or you know I'm a boy I'm a boy I'm a boy I'm a boy or I'm non-binary or gender expansive you can explain all that you can communicate and say it to them but if they don't get it we're not going to get anywhere. So that was kind of a lot of the conversations that my mother and I had to have. And 
um, the way the magic in the world kind of works is that when I did my own podcast, Black to the Future, I was able to sometimes talk with my co-host or a special guest that I would have on, or even just talk to myself because I like to talk to me because <laughs> we have to, we got to counsel sometimes and see where we at. Uh, so I was able to do that and then thus be able to explain some of these things out loud. And my mom would just be like, oh, okay, so this is what this is and this is what this is. And then I also, because I tried to be a YouTuber and YouTube is, she's hard. That's a lot of work. Um, but I had a YouTube series of a whole 10 episodes called Slay with Zay, where I was a trans tutor for people and gave them basic things. She would watch those videos and she would also share them with other people and stuff like that when they had questions. So that's kind of how I went about it. Um, I was, again, had a great deal of privilege because I was an adult when I started my transition. I was, um, I started to kind of come into my own grips around 25, like, all right, girl, you graduated college. You have a little bit more freedom. Let's start figuring out how we're going to make this work. Um, And even then, it still took a few years to actually do the medical part of it because that was a little bit scary for me personally. I guess people always feel like you're forcing things. I'm just like, no, I want you to be educated. And an important thing about it is that these ideas and these concepts aren't going to go away and you're not and you're not going to be able to fully ignore them. And um, I think change and growth, like anything, like when you're a child, change is scary. You know, the one thing that we can can bet on in life is some form of change. And we accept it to a fault until it seems like um, the core principles of who we are now being changed and altered for some reason. Um, So in my experience, um, in my immediate actual biological family. Um, I've always been flouncy and sweet and delicate and all those kinds of things. So to go from the idea of being a young boy to now being a grown woman, some of them are probably like, oh, that's to be expected. That tracks. Uh, so I, then to, but will they actually talk to me about it? Will they engage me on it? Absolutely not. Because I think the concept and the idea of them being more afraid of making a mistake and saying the wrong thing for some reason, they feel like that outweighs my potential safety and things like that. And I've had to explain a couple of times, particularly to my mother, like, girl, you can't be out here like misgendering me and dead naming me when, you know, trying to use restrooms or sitting in lobbies and things like that. We don't know who is, um, transphobic or as Hope Giselle, shout out to Hope, um, says transmissic, the the pure dislike and degradation of trans people. Intersectional feminism is where I stand on everything, where we want to allow everyone, um, literally, I don't even, I, I, why exclude people? That's silly. That defeats the purpose. Um, I want everyone to be able to have a seat at the table, have a conversation and show up as their most authentic selves because that's what's going to be fruitful and prosper. A multitude of different ideas makes for a better stew, as they say. So having one kind of idea and one conception doesn't, you know, do what needs to be done, as Law Roach said on Legendary. Um, So, you know, the idea of um, TERFs, uh, trans exclusionary radical feminists. I, um, in my conversations with them, 
what I'm perceiving is the fear of men and patriarchy and what they've been subjected to for a millennia. You know what I mean? They are afraid of men taking more things away from them, Um, being able to take ownership over things that they perceive that have validated their womanhood and things like that. And so as someone who's, you know, stepping into the world of womanhood, I'm, I'm not here to step on nobody's toes. Like I, there's no part of me that wants to impede you or hold you back from anything that you want to do. Um, and so I, I can understand why you're afraid if you've been uh, harangued and harassed and tortured and stuff by men your entire life, of course you're afraid of them. And if you don't have a strong understanding of what being a trans woman is, that's where the education is lacking again. If you don't have a strong understanding of it, then of course you're like, oh, well, that's just a man in a dress. That is, you know, RuPaul or something like that. Like that's something along those lines. Like they just take it off and just go home and just act like men outside of that. If you don't have an understanding of it, of course you're afraid. Therefore, you lash out and you say things like trans women aren't women, which I always think is so funny because you literally said woman in the sentence. <laughs> like, <laughs> what I'm hearing a lot of times um, is that they think the word cisgender replaces woman for some reason. I'm like, that means you just don't know what the word means, toots. Like, <laughs> that's, that's what that indicates to me is that you just don't know what the word means. The idea that men are afraid of feminism because they genuinely think it's the opposite and they're they're going to become the subordinates or whatever and things like that. Um, but like, of course, you don't want to add more to your play. You got enough shit going on. And now here come these girls who you perceive as men dressing up with as women saying that they are you. And you validated yourself from being able to give birth, from being able to have a menstrual cycle, from being for being able to do all that stuff that's just relegated to what your body is able to do based upon your genes and chromosomes and X, Y, and Z. And to me, it's so backwards because the entire concept of feminism at its root, what it kind of started with is like, I'm more than my pussy. And I'm just like, exactly, girl. <laughs> and the the feminism that I'm after is to ensure that Everybody is more than what their body is able to do and produce because that's just part of capitalism at the end of the day anyway. And it doesn't, um, it will not save you. If that makes you feel your womanhood, wear it out. That's great. That's not how I feel my womanhood. And many other cis women don't feel their womanhood that way because they've been reduced down to it. So I just want more womanhood and humanism for people to be able to be themselves at their fullest capacity And um, that doesn't take away from anybody else, frankly. I think that feminism in the intersectional sense will help everyone, even cisgender, heterosexual, white men, you know, who are well-off and able-bodied, all that kind of stuff. You know, I, I think it can definitely help them because I find that a lot of them are born into a world where they've been at the center, at the helm. Every story is about them. Every book is about them. I, I, I want them to be able to recognize the fact that you don't have to be, um, what is that? What's Thor's name? Um, Chris Hemsworth or whatever. Like there's only going to be one him 
you're not going to be able to be him. You can be exactly who you are and who you are is great and it's fantastic. I think that's what the concept of feminism, intersectional feminism is allowing more white men to be able to do is to see themselves in in totality and not just what you can procure, what you can provide um, and what you can like produce, quite frankly, three Ps. <laughs> so I... Um, I, I really want them to be able to see that and recognize it, that it can be a benefit to them and that it's not, again, patriarchy just flipped upside down. That's like the same thing about like how sometimes cishet black men want to flip, you know, whiteness upside down and be like, all right, let's just replace it with blackness. And it's like, that's mm, not going to work no matter it needs to be an equal trade of ideas and understanding and balance and all that, all that kind of stuff. There's so much um, that we don't know and that we don't understand. And it would be so much better if we collectively kind of came to those conclusions and had those conversations, quite honestly. But, um, you know, when it's been embedded, when it's in your school books, which is why I big eye roll at Florida, um, when it's in your media, when it's, always being put in your face, so to speak, um, you know, that you see yourself and you feel validated and you feel great. And that's why representation is so important. I believe that um, white supremacy is the, the the master of it all, unfortunately. And one of the lovely masters um, play toys is anti-Blackness. So that just seeps into everything. Um you know, it, it just has its way of doing that. And I think um, the sooner we recognize that, especially um, our white peers, especially, you know, and just go like, yeah, this shit is fucked up. How are we going to fix it? I think them accepting that is very critical. And it happens within the, um, in the feminist space as well, because the idea of what feminism was and how it was kind of constructed at the very beginning is that, you know, white women want to be liberated from underneath men and things like that, specifically white men. Um, and so, you know, during those marches of liberation and, and freedom for women and things like that, black women, specifically cis black women, were relegated to the back and things like that. And so um, your color of your skin, your race does play a factor in it. Um, and so... Again, I always tell people that having privilege isn't inherently bad. It's just what you genuinely do with it. And so I think um, when the world has been completely centered around you and your experience and to have it shift <laughs> away from it, it's like, well, what, what about me? Hold on. What about me? What about me? And it's like, absolutely, mama. We we know. But, you know, there's other people who are going to need it. And that's what equity is. And um that concept scares people because how am I not going to be the center of something, you know? And that's why I think it's so important to create, like, that's why I love this podcast. You create um, Black queer centered spaces. Um, and this is very much inclusive of trans women, for which I appreciate. Um, and so the idea of white women... Uh, <laughs> where they be cis or trans, um, they can definitely have more closer access to what their 
perception of what feminism is, this Eurocentric beauty standards. You real thin type tees. You got pretty light eyes. You got straight, uh, like blonde hair. Um, it's like, let me just go buy a bag if it's going to take all that. Let me go get some contacts if it's going to take all that. Like, <laughs> if, if I'm going to get there, let me do it. Um, but, you know, then that's a hard thing for even cis white women to attain. So if cis white women can't attain it, and that's supposed to be the gold standard, as it were, um, black women, you're not even there. Cis black women, you're not even there to it's like you're not. And then so for me to be a part of that as a trans woman, it's um, definitely a challenge, definitely a feat. Um, and I always just think about whenever we have these conversations about you know, who can tell who's trans and who's not and all that kind of stuff. It's always, you know, usually about Black women and things like that. And, you know, who's more manly and who's more aggressive, like Serena Williams or back in the day before Sierra had um, that man on top of her every five seconds and we ain't gonna get no no music because she pregnant with her fourth baby. Um, back in the day, Sierra and then... You know, uh, uh, other um, black women, Megan the Stallion, which thank goodness she's getting some of her justice, for which I appreciate. Um, but those are, you know, tall, statuesque, glorious black women that are cisgender, but they're relegated to being like, oh, they're this and this and this and this. When I'm like, uh, Iggy Azalea is taller than me. Uh, Taylor Swift is taller than me. But you know why they get to have that magical pass is because of their whiteness. So if I come to a white woman and tell her like, oh, hon, you're priv- you have privilege. It's And that's not a bad thing. Like, you've got it. Like, so now what are you going to do with it? Are you going to, you know, call the police on somebody every five seconds when something doesn't go your way? Are you going to say obscene and rude things to me now that you've whatever, you know, because you feel like you're able to do that? So... I think it's literally about having those conducive conversations, but moreover, it's about the willingness to listen and to understand. And um, one of my favorite activists, um, and uh, shout out to Diamond Styles, who hosts uh, Marsha's Plate podcast. Um, she always talks about if you center the least among us, among us, you always manage to get the um, the effects you want on the outside. Um, and so I think that's kind of where we need to genuinely be coming from is make sure we focus on the least among us. So that, that means, um, I'm well above being privileged cause I'm here having this conversation right now with you and all that kind of stuff. So we need to be focusing on trans women who are, you know, um, homeless that are proper, not able-bodied you know, are in a very obviously low socioeconomic status, dark skin and all those kinds of things. They are much more out there being subjected to horrible, violent things. And you're like, I'm a white woman. My husband treats me bad. I'm like, girl, okay. (laughs) And I think for them, it's hard to conceptualize that kind of thing because, you know, that's scary to think about, but that's literally someone's reality. Some of the kids that come into my program, that is their reality. And um, as someone who does have more privilege as a Black trans woman, doing these kind of conversations and being able to help those kids get access to things is one of my favorite things ever. And um, 
it's it's legitimately about being able to have the willingness to listen. It's funny because I think that um, a lot of white women, whether they be cis or trans, want white men to hear them and to understand them. And you need to do the same thing, sweetie. When Black women are telling you things, you're going to have to open up those ears and be okay with saying like, okay, well, this is fucked up. This is bad. This is shitty. Like, you know, and all that kind of stuff. After you acknowledge it, what are you going to do? You accept it and then you advance. Triple A's. Um, no Alaska, no Willamette, no Courtney Active. <laughs> Triple A's. You acknowledge, you accept, and then you advance. So that's what you have to do. All right, that was Zay Day. And you can find her on her podcast, Black to the Future Podcast. And her handle is uh, Pink Princess underscore Zay. That's P I N K P R Y N C E S S underscore Z A X A Y. X A Y. <laughs> my vision was my, my brain was my brain was not braining at that moment. <laughs> um, Pep, we Pep, we um we covered a lot there today. We covered a we lot. We did. Today. We really did cover a lot. And for me, the 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 takeaway, you know, we hear about all these things in the news about like again, you know, racism and anti blackness, or you know, anti semitism, all the antis, you know, um, transphobia, homophobia. All these things, um, misogyny, patriarchy, and like, you know, I don't know if if there's a graph or if there's like a a tree or like a a pyramid chart, Um, but it really shows that like, you know, all these things, all these isms are working hard to, for for the same purpose um, of, it seems like the end game in the United States a lot of the the end result of a lot of these things keeps puts and keeps cisgender or heterosexual white men who are not disabled at the top like that's what it seems like the purpose of all of these things to do is i'm not demonizing white men i'm not saying that they're not i'm not doing any of that but i'm just saying this system i am the system uh, the result of these, um, all these actions in the system seems to be working towards that. And so feminism is, is key, but it can't just be feminism. It needs to be the, 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 not that it needs to be my idea of feminism, but it needs to be a type of feminism that is not, uh, protective of that system, but also a feminism that actually works to dismantle that system and is more intersectional. I learned about, um, something that, that they, or calling white feminism, which I'd never really heard much about, but but I my, my connection to what I would call white feminism really um, is connected to the turf ideology and J.K. Rowling, um, because when she talks about wanting to uplift women and do all this stuff for women, it doesn't seem as though she's using an intersectional lens. It doesn't seem as though she's considering that like women have come from different socioeconomic situations and that women of different issues impact women of color differently than they do white women. I never hear her address that. And that never became more clear during Black Lives Matter when I heard her say nothing um, about it. And then when abortion uh, was, you know, was struck down in the United States, I heard her say nothing about it. Like, I think since then she has addressed it because people called her out on it. But she was going on on and on about women's rights, women's rights. And then when abortion was struck down... She's like, what's the weather, you know? And so like, what's up? And so it just, it really highlights that 
white, so white feminism, I'm sorry, white feminism, that's what I thought white feminism, white feminism was. It was a feminism that just ignores black and people of color, <laughs> um, women of color, but mm-hmm. it's not so much. Um, I've learned, you know, I could be, there's a lot more to learn on white feminism, but um, it's feminism that uses and works within the system of oppression, like patriarchy, to benefit the woman who's trying to get ahead. And so instead of saying... Well, it's, it's aligning herself, it's, it's her her proximity to, to the Exactly, to yeah. the patriarchy, which she already has a close, um, you know, uh, she's already pretty close to it. Um, but instead of saying, we need to change the rules so that all women earn the same amount as all men and change that change it that way instead it's like let's just make sure that this woman gets a promotion and so it really is very exclusionary and exclusive um you know because it doesn't it's not inclusive and it's certainly not intersectional so yeah but but yeah when you when you have white intentional feminism which we call whiff so you get a whiff of the farts (laughs) when you get a whiff of the farts you don't want that in your life. Black right. man you in are... a dress. That's right. Black black man in a dress. <laughs> woke woke oh, man. man. Woke man, man in a dress. <laughs> black man oh, no. dressed up in no, drag. Up, up in pumps. <laughs> <laughs> black bitch up in pumps. Yeah. Oh my anyway. gosh. Anyway, we want to say well, thank you well, to everybody listening. Um <laughs> Uh, make sure that you go check out Woke Man and Address by Bob uh, on their YouTube or just better yet, just go ahead and join the Patreon and, and check it out. Um, and we want to say thank you to our executive producer, Tracy Marquez, senior producer, Charlene Westbrook. Uh, congratulations, Charlene. We're so happy for you. Uh, producer Corey Nixon and post producer Amelia Rittaler. Uh, and of course, music by La Femme Bear. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>